What Are Poems podcast, the only poetry podcast not seeped in pretension. Today we're going to explore E.E. E. Cummings. He is the opposite of a uh, boomer arguing on the internet. He uh, writes everything in lowercase letters. And uh, I guess he has about the uh, same grasp on punctuation as they all have, but... Uh, that's what makes him kind of special. He said, fuck it. I'm going to do some weird things. I'm going to make everything look weird. I'm going to call myself E. E. Cummings. Uh, so Edward Estlin E.E. E. Cummings, uh, often styled as E.E. E. Cummings in the small print uh, with no dots in between, as he, attributed, as he is attributed in many of his published works. He was an American poet, painter, essayist, author, and playwright. He wrote approximately 2,900 poems, two autobiographical novels, four plays, and several essays. He is often regarded as one of the most important American poets of the 20th century. Cummings is associated with the modernist free-form poetry. Much of his work has idiosyncratic syntax and uses lowercase spellings for poet expression. So this is uh, the lowercase guy. The guy we've all been waiting for, I think, in our collective hearts and minds. The guy English teachers just say really nice things about. They say like, oh, E.E. E. Cummings, he's the whole bowl of spaghetti. And that really begs the question, did anyone ever like their English teacher? Edward Eslin Cummings was born on October 14th, 1894. That's a day before me, many, many years beforehand. But he is a Libra, meaning he, suck, he seeks balance in his life. Massachusetts, uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, to Edward Cummings and the former Rebecca Haswell Clark, a well-known Unitarian couple, probably the last well-known Unitarian couple. What is that Unitarian joke from The Simpsons uh, where Bart's playing Billy Graham's Bible blaster and he's shooting the uh, the people to convert them to Christianity? And he like misses, almost misses a guy and Todd goes, uh, Oh, you just winged him. Now he's a Unitarian. <laughs> You know, there's a whole era in this country when you could just uh, when you could just talk in Simpsons, but I fear since uh, the quality of the Simpsons has the, uh, slowly evaporated over the years, and people have uh, such a uh, such a wealth of media before them that uh, we may never talk in the shorthand of a television show again. Uh, so I fear that's going to go like all all things the American way went uh, downhill. I like about three Simpsons jokes now that I could think of. Uh, one is Mo saying, uh, yeah, 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 I sleuthed my ass off. Uh, one is Mo saying, uh, garage, garage. And then Homer says, uh, what do you call it? And he says, uh, a car hole. And then, of course, I love uh, Hans Molman saying, this is Mole Man in the morning, a good Mole Man to you. Not a very good Hans Molman, but the Mo is okay. E. Cummings, his father, was a professor at Harvard University, and he later became nationally known as the minister of the South Congressional Church Unitarian in Boston, Massachusetts. His mother, who loved to spend time with her children, played games with Cummings and his sister Elizabeth from an early age. Cummings' parents supported his creative gifts. Cummings wrote poems and drew as a child, and he often played outdoors with the many other children who lived in his neighborhood. So it's kind of an idyllic... Uh, childhood going on here. He's a little bit of a leave it to beaver, uh, a regular lumpy Rutherford. Cummings wanted to be a poet from childhood and wrote poetry daily from age 8 to 22, exploring assorted forms. He graduated from Harvard University with a bachelor's arts degree, magna cum laude, and Phi B 
Beta Kappa in 1915 and received a Master's of Arts degree from the university in 1916. In his studies at Harvard, he developed an interest in modern poetry which ignored conventional grammar and syntax while aiming for a dynamic use of language. Upon graduating, he worked for a book dealer. So Cummings is like, uh, he's this first wave of modernist poetry where he's going, uh, you know, fuck it to the literary uh, the literary establishment. He's the, uh, he's a bit of a Abby Hoffman, a bit of a... Uh, who else says fuck it to the establishment? Some feminist? Uh, the cartoon Bojack Horseman? Uh, I don't know. Who else is anti-establishment? Norm from Cheers? Uh, World War One comes. Uh, and I swear to God, every time I'm researching a poet of this era, there's just a huge amount about the poet in World War One and how it's going to affect them. And I think maybe it isn't so much that the war is affecting as much as just being around Paris and cafes and coffees and baguettes is affecting them. It's like the first time these guys get out of America and they have like a warm piece of bread and it's just orgasmic for them. I do like the Cummings World War I thing because it sort of reminded me of an indie movie uh, where like uh, two friends find out they're gay while they're bicycling across the country. Uh, a young Indiana boy in, a, in an Indianapolis urbanite. Uh, meet, meet, uh, meet and kiss on a motorcycle or something. That's what this reminds me of. In 1917, with the first world war ongoing in Europe, Cummings enlisted in the Norton uh, Hargest Ambulance Corps. On the boat to France, he, he met William Slater Brown, and they would become friends. Due to an administrative error, Cummings and Brown did not receive an assignment for five weeks, a period they spent exploring Paris. Cummings fell in love with the city, to which he would return throughout his life. During... Their service in the Ambulance Corps, him and William Slater Brown, the two young writers sent letters home that drew the attention of the military censors. They were known to prefer the company of French soldiers over fellow ambulance drivers. The two openly expressed anti-war views. Cummings spoke of his lack of hatred for the Germans. And on September 21st, 1917, five months after starting his belated assignment, Cummings and William Slater Brown were arrested by the French military on suspicion of espionage and undesirable activities. They were held for three and a half months in a military detention camp. They were imprisoned with other detainees in a large room. Cummings' father failed to obtain his son's release through diplomatic channels. In December 1917, he wrote a letter to President Woodrow Wilson, Old Woody Will. Uh, Cummings was released on December 19, 1917, and Brown was released two months later. Cummings used his prison experience as the basis of his novel, The Enormous Room, about which F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, human writer, said... Of all the work by young men who have sprung up since 1921, books survives. The Enormous Rooms by E.E. E. Cummings. Those few who cause books to live have been able to endure the thought of its morality. So we'll ask Scott Fitzgerald is writing the shit out of a sentence. And, uh, and he is saying, you know, this book is something else. Cummings would re return to Paris in 1921 and lived... There for two years before returning to New York, his collections Tulips and Chimneys was published in 1923, and his inventive use of grammar and syntax is evident. The book was heavily cut by editor, by his editor. And then uh, this poem, I think it's, I don't know, it's it's Roman numeral, so I, you know, I would be able to do it, but I can't do it. Uh, this is a Roman numeral book, XL1, what's that, Super Bowls 31? Uh, with these collections, Cummings made his reputation as an avant-garde poet. During the rest of the 1920s and 30s, Cummings returned to Paris a number of times and traveled throughout Europe, meeting, among others, artist Pablo Picasso. In 1931, C 
Cummings traveled to the Soviet Union recounting his experience uh, published two years later. During these years, Cummings also traveled to Northern Africa and Mexico. He worked as an essayist and portrait artist for Vanity Fair magazine. In 1926, Cummings' parents were in a car crash. Only his mother survived, although she was severely injured. Cummings later described the crash in the following passage from his I-6 non-lecture series given at Harvard. A locomotive cut the car in half, killing my father instantly. When two brakemen jumped from the halted train, they saw a woman standing, dazed but erect, beside a malinged machine with blood spouting, as the older said to me, out of her head. One of her hands, the younger added, kept feeling for her dress, as if trying to discover why it was wet. These men took my 66-year-old mother by the arms and tried to lead her toward a nearby farmhouse, but she threw them off strode straight to my father's body and directed a group of scared spectators to cover him. When this has been done, and only then, she let them lead her away. His father's death has a profound effect on Cummings, who entered a new period in his artistic life, began to focus on more important aspects of life in his poetry. He started his new period by playing homage to his father in the poem, My Father Moved Through Dooms of Love. In 1942, his alma mater, Harvard University, awarded Cummings an honorary seat as a guest professor. <coughs> Uh, and here comes a quick skeleton in his closet. I just need to uh, tell you this. Uh, according to testimony, uh, Cummings had little interest in politics until his trip to the Soviet Union. He subsequently shifted rightward on many political and social issues. Despite his radical and bohemian public image, he was a Republican and later an ardent supporter of Joseph McCarthy, who we all hate because he was just a bad, bad man. So uh, here is a poem Cummings wrote when he was six years old to his father. Father, dear B, your father good and good. He is good now. It is not good to see it rain. Father, dear, is. It, dear, no, father, dear, love you, dear, Esland. Uh, so that's him at six. Not good at six. Uh, not too impressive to me. But here's E. Cummings reading, Anyone lived in a pretty how town when we return after these messages. Anyone lived in a pretty how town without so floating many bells down. Spring, summer, autumn, winter, he sang his didn't. He danced his did. Women and men, both little and small, cared for anyone, not at all. They sowed their isn't, they reaped their same. Sun, moon, stars, rain. Children guessed, but only a few. And down they forgot as up they grew. Autumn, winter, spring, summer. That no one loved him. More by more. When by now and tree by leaf, she laughed his joy, she cried his grief. Bird by snow and stir by still, anyone's any was all to her. Someone's married their everyone. Laughed their cryings, 
and did their dance. Sleep, wake, hope, and then they said their nevers, they slept their dream. Stars, rain, sun, moon, and only the snow can begin to explain how children are apt to forget to remember. With up, so floating many bells down. One day anyone died, I guess, and no one stooped to kiss his face. Busy folk buried them side by side, little by little and was by was. All by all and deep by deep and more by more, they dream their sleep. No one and anyone, earth by April, wish by spirit, and if by yes. Women and men, both dong and ding, summer, autumn, winter, spring, reaped their sowing and went their cane. Sun, moon, stars, rain. Ah, I'll tell you what, uh, he sounded like Winnie the Pooh after he had had an Ambien or something. My God, that was boring. Uh, maybe in the plain text it's all right, but E.E. E. Cummings, real snooze reading it. I didn't get much from the poem. I didn't feel much. I just felt, uh, you know... Wow, what a snooze. Um, here's a poem sent in by uh, Tia. Uh, so it's called uh, Too Tired to Think of a Name. Wake up tired, exist tired, nap tired, wake up tired, go to sleep tired, wake up tired, exist tired, repeat. And I think that poem speaks volumes of how we feel after listening to that fucking E.E. E. Cummings poem. And, uh, and how we feel as we slowly make our way toward 2021. When nothing will change, it will all stay the same. And I suspect we will all remain tired. Until next time, folks. Peace and love. Peace and love. Beef jerky.